Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Hockey Free For All podcast and episode 40 is going to mark the beginning of post-season discussions already for the Montreal Canadiens as once again they missed the playoffs as expected this year. It was not a surprise, I don't think anybody expected them to make the playoffs this year, but the good news is by not making the playoffs they have secured at least in the top five picks of the NHL draft or have the best option of obtaining a top five pick in the 2023 NHL draft. And I'd like to start off with what is wrong with even remotely suggesting considering trading Nick Suzuki or Cole Caulfield to acquire the number one pick in the 2023 draft. Doesn't Connor Bedard have to have someone to play with of talent level? So if you trade him to obtain that pick, who's he going to play with? Who's going to be his wingers? Who's going to line up with him every night? And once again, you get a number one pick overall that suffers, doesn't play well, starts getting torn apart in the public eye through multiple different formats and media, and we're back to the same scenario. And we're back to Montreal also not really ever becoming anything again than a mediocre franchise. And to that same point, that also applies to the just relentless Pierre-Luc Dubois rumors that will not go away. And right now, you're starting to see him disappear in the playoffs. Again, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a guy that didn't like playing in Columbus, wasn't professional about it in the way that he left, didn't have anything good to say about the team, got into the papers with an argument as far as bringing it to the public guy, which is never the right way or direction to go. Comes to Winnipeg, has a 28-goal season last year, finished with his regular season point total this year, neither one of which is going to be worth north of $9 million. Not to mention the fact, this seems to be a point that's escaping a lot of people right now. You've got Nick Suzuki, just over $8 million. You're going to have Cole Caulfield, just over $8 million at the least. Then you've got to sign all these people that had solid rookie seasons. And before we get there, you have Kirby Doc that signed his new contract at $3.5 million, which if I remember right, was a four-year contract. So with those three players, you're already approaching $20 million. The cap's not moving up in a record amount with any type of speed. Shortly, you're going to have Caden Gooley, Arbor Akjai, Jordan Harris, a host of other players that are all going to be due contracts. You can't keep them all. There's been teams that have been doing an amazing job at cap management, such as the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Boston Bruins. Most of the NHL has a much higher turnover. Those two cities have done a spectacular job at cap management and being able to retain the core of their teams. And you can see how it's affected those two teams. They are consistently one of the top-tier teams in the league. They are consistently division winners. They are consistently a competitive. Every year, they are in the mix to win the cup. So you can't blow your team payroll out of the water. You can't have 30 or $40 million of your payroll wrapped up in one position on the team. There's five positions on the team. Left wing, right wing, center, defense, and goaltender. It just doesn't work that way. Not to mention the fact that if you're talking about team chemistry, a team player, a person that leads by example, let's stay with Pierre-Luc Dubois here for a second, he is nowhere near the professionalism, a personality type, and team committed player that players such as Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, Caden Gooley, and others are. Speaking of number one draft choices, yes, it's unfortunate that Yurav Slavkowski had an injury this year that took him out 
all but 39 games of the regular season. It's questionable whether his development would have had much of a difference to its pace and to its style if he was in the AHL or the NHL. Some people would say the AHL was a better fit because it would have allowed him to understand and develop playing at the NHL level a little bit easier if he started in the AHL. I don't necessarily agree with that. And the NHL, I think right now, was the best place for him to learn. It was the best place for him to develop chemistry. It was the best place to see what his talents were, what he lacked up front. Was he completely ready? No. Physically? Absolutely. But even that can be said, obviously he needs some development in protecting himself. But is the AHL or would the AHL would have been the place to get that type of development? Basic concept of the AHL, everybody's trying to get to the NHL. And the AHL, in some people's opinion, is actually a rougher, more physical league than the NHL is. Because the NHL players are there already. The AHL players aren't. They're trying to prove and do whatever they can and make whatever difference they can, including playing very physical styles, which could be more detrimental to a player's development like Slavkowski. He could have gotten injured even more at the AHL level than he did at the NHL level. That being said, I think the biggest issue with Slavkowski is you have to take a page out of the Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Melkin book with him. When Pittsburgh drafted those two guys, what fundamentally made their development so effective is they started right off in the NHL. And the Penguins were well aware that they were going to make mistakes as number one overall and number two overall draft picks in their respective drafts. They let them play. They knew they were going to make mistakes. They lived with it. So I think by Savkoski being at the NHL with the management team of Ken Hughes and Jeff Gordon, with the coaching staff, of Martin St. Louis and others, I think in a way fast-tracked his development a little bit. It gave him a taste and it made him understand quicker what was going to be expected of him. The two things I would have wanted to see done a little bit differently is more consistent line mates and more ice time. That being said, who am I or anybody else to argue with how Martin St. Louis is doing things? Obviously, the man knows how to do his job very effectively, understands what percentage of ice time and who to put players with to excel. But I think it would have been much better had Slavkowski had maybe Josh Anderson and take your pick at a consistent left wing. Maybe this year might have been Jonathan Duran or something like that because Duran was, if nothing else, at least he could get the puck to teammates and at least he could assist in the passing game. Obviously not much of a goal scorer this year, but at least it could have helped keep the puck moving and keep Slavkowski moving around and maybe his numbers would have been a little bit better than just 10 points for those rookie season. A set of consistent line mates and with Josh Anderson on the right wing of him, a similar player in size, a similar player in style, maybe would have given him some NHL advice and how he's migrated through the league over the years and things like that and how he plays. Maybe not, but at least a set of consistent line mates would have been my first choice for Yuri Slavkowski. And although a lot of people would say, but did he deserve this? Ideally, it would have been Cole Caulfield on the right, Nick Suzuki at center, and Slavkowski on the left wing. Now, some people would say, do you really want to throw him out there to the Wolves on your number one line? Sure, because he would have gotten close to 18, 19, or more minutes per game, would have had some highly talented players to play along with, and potentially would have maybe made a better difference in his 
offensive production as well as maybe his development would have taken off a little quicker to be determined because one thing i'm not going to do that i know a lot of people love doing this is be an armchair quarterback continuing on with slikowski for a moment it will be interesting to see if he ends up starting next year in montreal some people would say well if he made montreal's starting roster his rookie year certainly he'd have to be there next year would he maybe his weaknesses or specific development areas have been exposed and maybe now time with jf and the coaching staff and the team down there might be a better option for him to be determined and moving along to other prospects sean farrell the same thing everybody was very excited to see him he had a phenomenal sophomore year at harvard but he clearly isn't ready for the nhl right now at least not what i saw in the games near the end of the regular season he the game has to slow down for him he has to see the game coming to him rather than rushing to it and you could see that in his play he's going to be a very gifted player for montreal he and slavkowski might be best served if they go to laval in the ahl next year and maybe even for the entire year like xavier simino and rafael harvey pinard fair needs to develop more muscle mass and more physicality not to play a physical game but when i say physicality meaning endurance to survive at the nhl level they're all going to be good players but physically if they don't put on more muscle mass they're gonna wear down and then that whole debate of oh you have too many small players small players can't make it in the nhl small players can play just fine in the nhl it becomes a tactical game for them it's not about rubbing out your opponent it's not about physically enduring the impact about every game smaller players excel and succeed by being smart they're positional they know where to be they know the traffic to stay out of they know how to move about the ice without getting crushed or bounced off the walls like a pinball that's the difference between the ones of shorter stature or smaller size that succeed and have longer nhl careers and are just obliterated now argumentatively some people could say well are you saying you know brendan gallagher wasn't a physically punishing player yeah he was and brendan gallagher decided to go toe-to-toe with the bigger nhl players and just got hammered for years and you now see when they choose to make that decision of a player of that stature what happens to them obviously everybody can clearly see that has worn down and made brendan gallagher very very injury prone as the last couple of years have clearly shown that that impact on him and everybody loves him he's been the heart and line of the team he's everything you'd want in a player he leaves it all on the ice but it is going to shorten his career and is going to cause some hellacious injuries and down the road later in his life i hope he's totally okay and isn't one of those kind of people that is like fully arthritic with like crinkled hands and everything else and can't even move around that would be horrible for anybody and as we're talking about first year players and prospects and long-term players jordan harris is going to be another one of those players great season i think he had a fantastic season i think you could call jordan harris the most underrated player on the canadians this year had a solid rookie season but his one priority for the offseason has also got to be to put on physical muscle so that he can maintain his level of play and even get better at it to survive the nhl level other than that he's there there is few skaters that are better than him he's very fluid very transitional great first pass very heady smart player but physically would be the only thing that right now would stand in his way of surviving 
and maintaining and improving his level, which is already a very high standard. So, some might say, well, if Slavkovsky and Farrell are both in the AHL next year, who's going to be on left wing in Montreal? Well, you've already got Pizzetta on the fourth wing, who I think is a perfect energy fourth wing team kind of guy. Has a little bit of a Chris Nyland, Lyle Odelin, John Cordick in him. You know, one for all, all for one for the team. Perfect left winger there. You've got Rafael Harvey Pinard already. You could add Joel Tisdale, who had a very small sample size this year. But really, at this point, Tisdale is in that position of either he makes it to the NHL or he's going to be a career AHL player. And you've got Emil Heineman. Emil Heineman, I think, could easily be the left winger on the top line right now. Or because of the chemistry that Rafael Harvey Pinard and Suzuki clearly had, kind of a similar chemistry level to him, and when I say him, Suzuki, and Cole Caulfield. So Rafael Harvey Pinard developed a very quick chemistry with Nick Suzuki. So either he or Emil Heineman could be the number one winger. And behind them, you have Tisdale and you have Pizzetta. So if Slavkowski and Farrell both need time in the AHL next year, not a big deal. Not a huge kind of like, oh my God, well, the season's already done before it gets started. Don't even bother. Moving on, of course, Kirby Doc. Great to see the season that he had. Great to see all the people that just thought that was a bad trade and why are we wasting a 13th pick overall and sending a good young defenseman and Alexander Romanoff to the Islanders in a three-way deal to make that happen. Kirby Doc has been useless in Chicago. Yeah, Kirby Doc was affected by the system that he was in and suffered the same thing that so many rookie and younger players have suffered in Montreal over the years with coaches like Elaine Vigneau, Claude Julien, and others that didn't understand how to use him, that did not put him in a position to excel. Martin St. Louis did. Martin St. Louis is the reason Kirby Doc had the season that he did. Martin St. Louis put him in a position to win, put him in a position of starting to develop some chemistry, put him in a position where he could start coming into his own. Martin St. Louis also understood what the strengths and weaknesses were pretty clearly of Kirby Doc and put him in a position with other players to make up for that difference. Now, moving on to defense for all the people that's talked about the how Montreal couldn't start three rookies this year, ended up starting five. You got a bit of a logjam, which is going to be great news for Laval because it is going to stack the Laval defense for a couple of seasons at least. Because in Montreal right now, clearly, you have Justin Barron, Jonathan Kovacic, and one of the many left defensemen that you already have on the right side, whether that be Jordan Harris or somebody else. And already on the left side, you've got Caden Gooley, Arbor Akjai, and Mike Matheson. So you've got six. You've got five rookies that have claimed their spots and the veteran at a whole 28, 29 years old who also Montreal management took a whole bunch of flack over when they, when everybody said how Ken Hughes got robbed sending Jeff Petrie to Pittsburgh who just had a hellacious season and apparently already there's rumors of they got to get him out of there and wasn't what they expected as they were trying to think of maybe that was the veteran defensive prospect or positional player that would gel well with Chris Letang and Sidney Crosby and the veterans and give it one last hurrah in Pittsburgh. That obviously didn't play out well. Mike Matheson has been a phenomenal addition to the team. The funny thing about Mike Matheson, everybody talks about, oh, we got to have more French players. We got to have more French players. So they're 
excited about prospects like Xavier Semino, Rafael Harvey Pinard, Joel Tisdale, and other players. And they welcome him to the team, which is great to see. But yet there was kind of this cold, oh, well, did Mike Matheson really improve the team? I don't understand the questioning at the beginning of his arrival. He was a better skater. He's a better passer. He's more transitional. He's got a great first pass out of the defensive zone. And he's local and he wanted and embraced coming back couldn't wait to get started and yet there wasn't the same level of excitement about him as a local guy a local kid as they love to say which is hard to say that at 29 years old that somebody's a kid but a local residential Quebecer joining the team didn't generate the type of typical excitement that it does and that is just bizarre and a perfect example of that even with a pending player that everybody still wants to have join the team is Pierre-Luc Dubois everybody's excited about Pierre-Luc Dubois or at least seems to be but they're not about Mike Matheson and I think Mike Matheson is a bigger value to the Montreal Canadiens than Pierre-Luc Dubois I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is a perimeter player he's another one of those players that Montreal just finally has cleaned out the just massive amount of that they had who plays when he wants to gets excited about certain games it's all about him me 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 and Montreal does not need any players like that down the middle of the ice just on the starting three right now as far as either people that are already on the Montreal roster and near prospects that are close to making the team you already have at center Nick Suzuki Kirby Doc and Owen Beck and personally one person I thought that was also brought up very close to the end of the season that I want to see come back to Montreal next year and I want to see him be the fourth line center because I think he's a perfect energy center and will be a great compliment to Pizzetta on the left wing and Alex Belzeal on the right wing and that is Lucas Condotta. He's 6'2", hovering right around 200 pounds, fresh legs, team player, captain of his team at Lowell Mass, was a fantastic player at all levels that he's played so far. J.F. has already made the comment several times how he doesn't need a C or an A on his jersey and is clearly a team leader. Don't get me wrong, Rem Picklick and Jake Evans, especially Jake Evans, have become more than expected but they both have injury issues they both have health issues Montreal needs to get bigger and Kandata is exactly that player that they need in the fourth slot and can even move up to the third slot when needed at center but you've already got Suzuki, Doc, Beck and Kandata you've got no room at center and some people would say oh you're telling me Pierre-Luc Dubois isn't better than Lucas Kandata well would you pay a nine million dollar player which unfortunately is probably what he's going to get or more as a player would you pay a player that amount of money to be a third or fourth line center and one or two is clearly already taken up by Suzuki and Doc and Dubois is not better than either one of those players even remotely so but back to the defense you still have Logan Mailu, Miguel Torgany, Pateri Nermi okay you also have William Trudeau and there's other defensemen that are pretty close I mean Trudeau right now could easily make Montreal as a six defenseman and move up quickly so where are you going to put all these players Montreal's already got more than enough and the reason I mentioned that is not only is there the insane response to how Montreal has to have Pierre-Luc Dubois on the offense there are some people it's like oh Montreal's got to draft a defenseman this year why 
as good of a year and as ahead of schedule as all the five rookies were this year, by no means have they tapped out, capped out, maxed out, whatever the term is that somebody wants to use, as to how far they can advance and what their talent can actually turn out to be level-wise. So why would you keep drafting more and more defensemen? And ironically, everybody's like, well, you know, we've got a lot of left defensemen, but we don't have a lot of right defensemen. Well, ironically, left defensemen have more capability of playing on the right side for whatever reason. And I don't know the reason behind that, but left defensemen can feel more comfortable playing on the right side than a right defenseman feels comfortable playing on the left side. Or if you will, a left defenseman feels more comfortable playing on the offside of their position than a right defenseman does. And Montreal has got no limitation of defensive prospects. And in that list, I didn't even mention Matthias Norlander, who's another option. And not to be forgotten, and let's not leave off the list coming out of Boston is Lane Hudson. So you've got prospects. You've got talent. I think Montreal defensively is set. And honestly, in this year, in the 2023 draft, I don't see any defensemen jumping off the page at me that they got to have. I think 2023 has been referred to as a very deep draft for a really long time. It's going to be interesting to see how all the players from this year's draft play out. It may be that deep draft that everybody's talked about. It may be a lot of can't-miss players. Miss. It just kind of depends. Now, back to the offensive side of the roster. There's still a lot of room to clean out. Thank God the contract has currently expired for Drouin. And anybody that thinks they need to offer him a new contract has literally lost lost their mind. Unfortunately, Denis Garyanov very inconsistent, didn't prove anything, definitely is not worth a $3 million offer to retain. I don't know if I'd even offer him a million dollars. He just, again, is another one of those players that is inconsistent. Some nights, very recognizable on the ice. You know where he's at. He's made a difference. Most nights, he's a ghost. Of course, Donatoff was traded for him. Fortunately, that mess is gone. Mike Hoffman, there's another player. I would go for, honestly, him being a throw-in in a trade. Even if they don't get anything just to complete a trade so kind of one of those trades that people it's like well i gave you x amount of draft choices you need to give me an equal amount of assets in the trade just like a number for number change or something like that i would even just throw him into that paul byron is going to retire it'll be very interesting to see if he gets into management after that and if he does get into management will that be in montreal or will that be somewhere else but offensively there are still a lot of contracts to be gotten rid of and there are still a lot of contracts to move on from as well. Continuing on the offensive side, one would have to think players like Chris Tierney, though there's even been comments by him how he would love to stay in Montreal, there's just no room for him. So you got to expect him to go. Of course, in the remaining contracts on the team, I'm sure that would love to see that contract that Joel Armia has and the player himself disappear from the Montreal roster as well. If nothing else, maybe they can loan him to a European team. They would still have to pay the contract, but he's just a waste of a roster spot period. He really, really is. And I know these next two players, some people are going to go, oh my God, how could you get rid of these guys? Christian Dvorak, Josh Anderson, two more players I'm just not excited about. Dvorak has shown me nothing. Once in a while, he'll have a good defensive game. He'll be that solid defensive center that everybody expected him to be after Philip Deneau didn't sign or re-sign, if you will, in Montreal. He hasn't been that, clearly. His point total last year and this year were horrific. 
and far below expectations. Josh Anderson had a solid season this year, one could say, because he hit the highest goal total that he has yet during his time with the Montreal Canadian organization. That does not justify his roster spot. Unless you're going to keep him specifically to play on a line with Kirby Dock at center and Uri Slavkowski on the left wing, it's time for him to go. And if he can net you that third pick in this year's draft, especially if he can net you a top 10 pick in that draft, I'm sorry, the length of his contract, the amount of his contract, and the production he's provided as a player is not more valuable than that third first round pick. It's just not. I don't know who's doing it, but the marketing for him is phenomenal because everybody keeps referring to him as that rare blend, rare talent. You always want players like that on your team. They're just so unique. I'm not seeing anything unique and great about him. And even for his size, he's not the healthiest guy. He constantly has issues. Fortunately, and I wouldn't wish this on him or anybody else, not as bad as some other people's injuries have been, but still that nagging, while this this is why I haven't been able to perform. This keeps affecting my performance. This does never really allow me to get on track. Maybe a change of scenery in a geographical warmer area is maybe what he needs because he just has not gelled in Montreal. Again, he's another one of those inconsistent players that when he's on his game, you're like, wow, that is what I want from him all the time. Unfortunately, you just don't see it. You see it once every 10, 15 games? Well, multiply that out. That's going to be like four to six, maybe five to seven really wow games for the whole season. And you need wow every night. And again, like I mentioned earlier, Rem Picklick, Jake Evans, also add to that list, Chris Weidman. And I know some people are going to disagree with this. Yes, Anthony Richards has had a phenomenal season at the AHL level. That does not translate to an NHL game for him. The player that people have seen in the AHL is not the player they've seen at the NHL level. Again, there's going to be those people that sit there and go, well, he hasn't truly been given a chance. Yes, he has. He's another one of those players that maybe he can make another roster. Maybe on a Seattle, and I'm not picking on Seattle, but maybe they have a better spot for him that would allow him to shine better. Maybe Philadelphia would be a place. Maybe Pittsburgh would be a place. There's just not room. Maybe there's a team that's really cash strapped that would give him a third or fourth line option that he could come in, impress them with the numbers that he had in the AHL this year, and they'd give him a better shot. But again, in Montreal, he's already been moved past defensively. Joel Edmondson, David Savard, Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman, honestly, he was kind of like, hey, I'm going to call my buddy. We got a, a injury issue and we need somebody to play defense and he's better than most. He's a great team guy. I mean, made a very, very compassionate, I'll call it, which is kind of a weird word to use, but also a very nice gesture in giving Yuri Slavkowski his jersey number last year because that was a jersey number that Yuri Slavkowski had used previously. So Chris Weidman made a very, very captain-like type move by giving him his jersey number and picking a new one for himself to welcome Slavkowski into the NHL. And that is nothing short of a total class move. Unfortunately, that cannot cause him to take up a roster spot. And I know he and his significant other loves the Montreal area, the organization, and four or five years ago, maybe there was that kind of a place on the roster. Not 
now David Savard of those three by far the most mentoring of them all and certainly had a lot of value to development of some of the players this year kind of gave that calm presence if you will as they were lining up as line mates on the defensive pairings and things like that however again slow foot larger contract and unfortunately is impeding as much as he helped development the progress that players can make by taking up a roster spot but in the case of Edmondson lots of injuries maybe he and Savard can net you more assets as far as draft picks second round picks some people still believe in the case of Edmondson a late first round pick whether that's a possibility or not to be determined those would be of a greater value to the Canadians than those players are right now so just as a teaser to end this episode or wrap this episode up with possible line combinations for next year line number one Nick Suzuki at center Cole Caulfield on the right wing and either Emil Heineman or Raphael Harvey Pernard on the left line two Kirby Doc perhaps Joel Teasdale Emil Heineman on the right perhaps Joel Teasdale or Emil Heineman on the left wing Jesse Ulanen or Brendan Gallagher on the right wing line three Owen Beck at center if Montreal successfully and Sean Monahan will get more into this into the next episode comes back maybe Owen Beck with the mentoring of Sean Monahan and on the right side Brendan Gallagher or Yessi Ulanen fourth line I think the perfect fourth line is Michael Pozzetta on the left Lucas Condotta at center and Alex Bazile on the right wing and there's your offense for next year we already talked about the six solidified defensive positions and in goal clearly Sam Montebo has taken over the number one position and there's already some discussions on Jake Allen which also we'll get into in episode 41 as to should he stay should he go and Caden Primo of course won't be waiver wire possible next year they've got to take a risk at losing him for nothing if they send him down they can't protect him because he's beyond the, the years played or the time allotted for such players not to be available on the waiver wire so is the goaltending next year going to be Montembeau along with Jake Allen or will it be Montembeau with Caden Primo or does Montreal trade Caden Primo all things to talk about in episode 41 coming up thanks again for tuning in to episode 40 of the hockey free-for-all podcast i am your host steven styles i appreciate you listening to the podcast once again have a fantastic weekend